It is good to be back this morning here in the pulpit again after being gone for, uh, I guess, half a week, but it was last Sunday included in that time that I was gone. I went to the conference and attended with the Baptist Fellowship Association. And like I explained before I went to that conference, this is an association of uh, historically uh, churches pastored by black men, predominantly black pastors. It was good to get to know several of these men this past week, and this evening I will share more about it. It was a, a good week, but it is good to be home. It's good to be back in, in the pulpit again. And unfortunately, I, I will most likely be gone next week for a family wedding as well, and that's out of state. But I promise once I come back from that, my summer in-and-out plans are, are finished. I intend to be here for a while. As we turn to the Word this morning... I hope that we all have people in our lives that that we will extend ourselves for in a sacrificial manner. People that we will help in, in times of need. Uh, being part of a civilized society means that that we are willing to help one another. We, we are not isolated to our own little circle of a family. Sometimes we'll even help when it's inconvenient to do so. I remember some circumstances many years ago that illustrate this when I was called upon to help a friend. My my wife and I, I can't remember, I think we had kids at the time, but I'm not sure. But anyway, we had been out of state. We'd gone home to North Dakota for a, a vacation, and we had traveled back that day. We had been traveling for most of the day, driving to, to come back, and we had scheduled our, our return to come in the, the day before I had returned work the next day, so we were, were traveling on, on the day before work. We had driven most of the day. We had gone home in the evening fairly late, essentially had time for dinner, and then went to bed. And right about that time when falling asleep, just falling asleep or about to fall asleep, you know, that, that little window where you're not quite sure where you're at, the phone rang. And I remember it very well. That was friends of ours who were also traveling back from vacation, and their car had died about an hour away from, from home. They were stranded. There was no way to get the car fixed that evening, and they needed a ride home and asked, would I come pick them up? Well, the very last thing I felt like doing after driving for a whole day was to climb out of bed, to put my clothes back on, to climb back in the car and drive for what would be at least two hours by the time I drive to them, pick them up, and drive back again, and shrink my night down to a very short night when I had to work the next day. It wasn't near the top of my list. It wasn't in the middle of my list. It wasn't even at the bottom of my list of things I wanted to do that evening. But how do you think I answered them? Of course, I'll come pick you up. So I threw on some clothes, brewed up a strong pot of coffee so that I could have coffee for the road, and away I went to, to, to get them where they were stranded. Like I said, I'm sure we all have people in our lives that we would extend ourselves for. So for that reason, I'm sure we all have stories like that, where we have put ourselves out to help someone in the time of need. There have been times that we've been inconvenienced, help a family member or a friend because of their great need. Most of us are willing to do sacrificial things for the people who are special for, to us. Because we, we have a special history with them. We, we have this connection with one another. How much are we willing to put ourselves out, though, for people who we do not have a special history with? 
but they are people who are special to our Lord. We're returning to our series on developing genuine love this morning. As you know, in this series that we've been working through this summer, love for one another is a distinguishing mark of Christians. It's the thing that is to to set us apart from the unsaved world. We are to distinguish ourselves by our love for one another. It's to be markedly different from the, the general love that's found in the world at large. That, that means that we must get love right. If we are to distinguish ourselves as Christians, we must get it right. Developing this genuine love should be a vital concern for us if we're truly desirous of doing what it says up there, magnifying Jesus Christ. If we're going to magnify him, we must distinguish ourselves as people of him. As we've been observing for several weeks, Paul gives us a list of characteristics in Romans 12 about what God considers genuine love. With this list, Paul is is both identifying here's the characteristics that make up love, but he's also encouraging us to develop it. It's not an intellectual exercise we're engaged in. It's a developmental exercise. We are to become men and women who have genuine love in our lives. So this summer, we've been using this list to, one, examine ourselves, uh, evaluate how are we doing, but then secondly, also to push ourselves to ensure that our love is genuine love, that we are putting out this kind of love, this, this mark of being true Christians. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, if you're not already there. Paul begins his list in, in verse 9 of, of Romans 12. So far, we've looked at the following items from, from the list. The, the list heads out with love without hypocrisy, or we some often add a a verb to it in our translations, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. When we started looking at verse 12 a a few weeks back, I explained that Paul appeared to progress from giving us characteristics that define love. This is the definition of love to here's the environment that you need to produce it. In verse 12, Paul gave these three things, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Three things that that are closely related that, that become natural partners to create the right mindset in us so that we will have the mindset needed for love to show forth. Well, this morning, as we move into verse 13, Paul seems to shift gears again. Once more, he shifts so that now we begin considering the practical effects of genuine love in our lives and in our relationships. We need to remember, love is relational. It's between two people. It's something that exists between people. Genuine love Biblical love, Christian kind of love, is others-focused. That's what makes genuine love a spiritual thing. Because we are naturally self-focused. Our sin nature causes us to naturally be women and men and women who look at self. We care about ourselves. But the distinguishing nature of biblical love is it focuses on others. 
It takes the Spirit of God working within us to give us this others focused as, as our primary desire. John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus gives that new command to love one another, is where he tells us that by this, people will know that we are his disciples. This other-focused nature causes us to think more about the people sitting around us than we think about ourselves. But, but what should the effects look like when this kind of love swells up within us? What should it look like? That's the question that Paul begins to answer today as we look at the first phrase of verse 13. Contributing to the needs of the saints. A practical effect of genuine love is that genuine love moves a person to contribute to the needs of the saints. Now, in order to understand this effect better, in order to see what it's trying to teach us about genuine love, I I will make three observations for us today from, from this short phrase that Paul's given us. From this simple phrase, contributing to the needs of the saints, we'll make three observations. First... Genuine love motivates practical actions. It motivates practical actions. That's, that's the, <coughs> excuse me, the first observation I want to make. Love does something. It, it, it does not remain just an abstract idea. Genuine love, non-hypocritical love, love that's generated by, by the Spirit of God, it moves from the emotional realm into the physical realm. It, it has hands and feet to it. it. It moves out and does work. Genuine love motivates practical actions. Paul uses the word needs as he adds this phrase to a list of genuine love. At least that's how the New American Standard and most of the English versions translate the word that Paul uses. He uses the word needs. The, the King James translates as necessities. That, that's communicating the idea that these are things that are necessary to life. Our English word needs does a pretty good job conveying that idea. What I want us to make sure, though, is that when we read this word needs, Paul is referring to these physical necessities that we have to have for life. Paul does not have in mind at this point spiritual needs. Yes, we all need to know more about the Word of God. We have a need to know more about what God has said. We all need to know how the Word applies to our life. We all need encouragement. We all need comfort. We all need praise. We all need rebuke. We have lots of abstract ideas that there are needs. But Paul here is referring to physical needs. The things that we need in our life. Food, clothing, shelter. The, the stuff that's required to survive in this world that, that we live in. From, from understanding the practical focus of this term, we, we can see that genuine love motivates practical action. The, the love of Christ should move us to do tangible things for others. It, it's not real love if it doesn't go from an attitude to an action. Overall, I, I don't think we have a lot of trouble understanding this idea. When, when someone in the church has, has difficulties intrude into their lives, many of you are quick to offer tangible help. The, this past week, many have asked how they can help the Dongan family. Normally, when, when someone has a major surgery, a lot of you generously flood their house with meals. 
on a regular basis. I, I hear of one person helping another with things like uh, a house remodel project or car care or lawn care or the list goes on and on. Practical, physical help. Well, that's the idea. Genuine love motivates practical action. Love certainly has an emotional element. It, it starts in the mind. That's why verse 12 dealt with the right kind of attitude that we need to have, the mindset that has to be there for love to, to grow within us. But true love, genuine love, then flows out. The inner attitudes of rejoicing, persevering, devotion that surround love, those must burst forth with practical action addressing physical needs that exist in the lives of, of the people we love. As I said, the idea is not too hard to understand, but, but I do want to pause for just a moment. I want to encourage you to take a moment and ask yourself, are you doing things for the people you love? Practical things. Look at your past month. Examine yourself. Have you sacrificed time for others? Has there been a financial sacrifice for others? Practical things cost money. Food, clothing, those kinds of things, they cost real cash. Helping others can, can hurt your bank account. It can cut into your budget plans. So think about the, the past month. The kinds of sacrifices that you made, have they been sacrificial? I hope the answer is yes. I, I hope you're not just giving out of your abundance. Can you think about times that you have done things for someone because you love them? If you can't come up with any examples, then you have a very fundamental problem. You're only loving yourself. Assuming, though, that, that you can answer yes, there are examples that come to my mind right now. There's things that, that I've done that I've sacrificed in various ways for others. Well, I want you to hold on to those examples in your mind. Keep them lodged there. Those examples of sacrificial love, they may be examples of what Paul is referring to as genuine love, but they may not be either. The, the jury's still out. We have to think deeper. We need to evaluate further. We need to make more observations in order to determine if the examples that you're thinking of right now are examples of genuine love or not. But we must begin with the first observation. Genuine love motivates practical action. If there's no action, there's no love. Second, as we continue our observations, second, let's observe that, that genuine love partners with others in need. It partners with others in need. Love partners with others. I intentionally use the word partner here for, for the idea that, that's translated in, in the New American Standard as well as the English Standard Version as contribute, contributing. In, in the NIV, is translated as share. In, in the King James Version, the New King James is translated as distributing. A lot of different translations. The, the word that Paul uses is the verb form of the familiar Greek word koinonia. You probably all have heard of koinonia. Koinonia often is referred to as, as that which means Christian fellowship. If you were here for our evening services a, a few years back when we, 
We spent time in our evenings looking at koinonia, at, at fellowship. You, you learn that that word is, is a pretty broad term. It, it means a number of things. Before the New Testament times, the, the Greek philosophers used that word koinonia to, to describe the ideal that was sought between people in, in a sense of brotherhood. When the philosophers talked about what ideal love looked like, they used this word koinonia, this, an unbroken fellowship. Well, by the New Testament time, the, the word came to generally have the, the meaning of sharing with someone in something. General sharing with someone. Often it was used to describe the intimate mutual relationship that husband and wife had where they shared everything together. Well, Paul, in several of his letters, as well as the author of Hebrews and John in his first letter, the, these apostles, they grabbed this word from their culture, this word koinonia, and they used it in their writings. And from their writings, then the early church quickly appropriated this term to, to describe the close, intimate, special fellowship that, that should exist between believers, the fellowship that's generated by the Spirit of God in, in the church itself. So why am I giving you a history lesson on, on this one particular word? History of words might be interesting to you or it might not be, but why am I giving you the history lesson here? I'm doing so because I fear that when you and I read contributing in our Bibles, when we read it with our rich American eyes, we think of grabbing our wallets or grabbing our purses, opening them up and throwing something into the offering plate as it comes by. That's how we think of contributing. That kind of an action is certainly included in the, the idea of the word Paul writes, but, but it's a bit like saying that, that the blue crayon in a box of eight crayons describes the blue of the ocean or the blue of the sky on a perfect day. Yeah, that, that blue crayon is certainly within the range of blue sky or blue ocean, but there is so much more than that one crayon can can give us. Well, Paul indicates that we are to have coin and neo the, the, with the needs of others. We need to comprehend the full range of, of this word. There is a partnership aspect that, that we share fully in the needs of others. Re- remember, we should think needs that require practical actions when we're thinking of needs. Things that require something to be done. Well, love will motivate us to do whatever we can to help with the practical needs of others. We'll see their needs as our needs. We we will sacrifice our resources that, that God has given us to meet their needs. That's what partnering together means. Uh, of course, we are talking about real needs, not, not simply desires. They're there is a vast difference between someone wanting a new bicycle because the bicycle they have has a few scratches on it and some rusty paint versus someone wanting a bicycle so that they'll have a means of transportation to go five miles to work. A great difference between those two things. The point is, when we see a real need, we'll partner with the person in need. We will look at their need as our need. And we look at 
needs that way, when we stop and think that way, genuine love then motivates us to take the full set of resources that God has given us, that he has provided us, and to pour them out meeting the needs of the person who has it. Willing to make whatever sacrifice is required. Probably a good example of that idea is the way that we all know parents who have allowed their married children to move into their house because their child loses a job and and they need a place to, to live. I love my children. I know my wife loves our children as well. But we are both very happy that our children are not living in our basement. We enjoy being open, open empty nesters. We, we enjoy the, the flexibility that comes, especially since our granddaughter near, lives nearby and we get to see her on occasion, like weekly. But one afternoon or one day a week in our house with her is, is enough to exhaust us. We're happy they live elsewhere. Still, if David or, and Katie or if Daniel and Maria were at the place where they suddenly found themselves in financial straits, we would certainly open up our basement and let them live there again. We would partner with them, even though that, that would mean taking money from our accounts to feed more mouths. It, it would mean losing the serenity of our evenings. It, it would mean countless other major and minor sacrifices. But we would do that because we love them. We understand that. That's the idea of partnering together. We would partner with them in their needs. So we need to partner with others in need. We need to be willing to sacrifice as necessary, using our resources to come to the aid of others. So, assuming a little while ago you came up with examples of how you had sacrificed for others, how you've, in the last month, met the practical needs of others, let me ask you to think deeper. Did you simply throw a bit of excess money that God had given you at the problem, or did you really get involved in the problem? Did the other person's need make a showing in your prayers? Do you know at this point whether or not the the situation has really improved, or, or did you simply check off by doing one thing, check off, I've helped with the needs of others, I've done my part, and moved on with your life? Were you willing to help even if it hurt to do so? Did, did your assistance, whatever your example might be, did it indicate that you were a partner with the person that had the need? Or did you look like an outsider that was simply donating to their need? Genuine love partners with others in need. Now, before we move on, let me just throw out one caveat. I'm not trying to imply that we should use all of our resources to meet the needs of others. We, we need to use wisdom. It's not wise to, to sacrifice to the point where then we become ones in need as well. And where there was one person in need, now there's two. We need to use wisdom. Nor should we continue to aid those who continue making foolish and even sinful choices that, that result in true needs. What I'm talking about is a general principle. We are to partner with those in need, but a good partner will use good wisdom. Genuine love motivates practical action. That's observation number one. Genuine love partners with others in need. That's observation number two. But we still need to make a third observation. Genuine love spots the needs of others. 
Genuine love spots the needs specifically of other believers. Other believers. Look at the way Paul's words are translated in the New American Standard or probably in any Bible, that English Bible you have. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Of the saints. It's not that Paul is unconcerned about people in general, but that is not his primary concern. Paul's primary concern is that Christ be magnified. His primary concern is that the name of Christ is made famous in the world. Christ is always Paul's overarching concern that that governs everything he does. Paul isn't specifically concerned about temporal needs. He's concerned about Christ's name. So his concern is that Christians are pointing people to Christ in one of the most unique world-topping ways that, that we are to do that is by displaying our love for one another because we share Christ. That, that's why Paul's great concern is, is that we're partnering with the needs of other saints. Those who, who carry the name of Christ as the banner of the, above their, their head, their name Christian. The world knows they're Christian. Paul's concern is that the world sees one Christian meeting the needs of another Christian, showing love because of Christ. Now, I trust that they, all of us know there's a lot of theology packed into the fact that, that Paul identifies Christians as saints, literally holy ones. He, he addressed his letter in chapter 1, verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome called saints. The, the core doctrine of this letter deals with how we are justified, how we are declared righteous, how we are declared holy by a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ as Savior moves God to see the righteousness of Jesus in us. Saints, holy ones. It is a glorious term that Paul is using here. We are believers in Jesus Christ, and for that reason, we are saints. For our purposes this morning, we need to see that our goal of genuine love, a love that will magnify our Savior by displaying His transforming work in our lives, that requires that we partner specifically with the needs of other saints. So in order to do that, before we are able to partner with them, we need to be able to spot their needs. We need to know the needs of saints. This, frankly, is where things get a bit dicey for us. This is where it gets hard. We're good at spotting the needs in our family because we're close to our family. We love our family greatly. We're good at spotting the needs of close friends because we love them too. I fear most, myself included, we're largely blind to the needs of other believers unless they're part of these closest rings of relationships that we have. It's frequently helpful to think about our network of relationship as many concentric rings. My immediate family might be my closest ring around me. My next closest ring might be my closest friends. My co-workers might come next in a ring that's slightly larger. My extended family could be the next ring, and, and so forth. We have all these rings of relationships around us that, that we can place people in that define how they relate to us as far as 
involvement in our lives. And we can extend this out to, to our outermost ring being the, the people that live on this earth that I will probably never meet. That's the way our relations develop naturally around us. It's normal. And we will naturally see the needs most readily of those who are in the, the rings closest to us because we're most involved in their lives. Based on what Paul writes here, though, in our phrase, I fear that our natural way of looking at things, our natural way of even encountering needs, could pose a problem. When, when we approach our assessment of needs based on our rings, whose needs are we seeing? Whose needs naturally pop to the surface? Well, as I said, our family, we know them well, so we see their needs immediately. Our closest friends, we'd see their needs. Our co-workers might be the next. Well, by the time we get to our friends, and hopefully, and even then to our co-workers, there's a lot of unbelievers in those circles. So our relationships, that's very helpful for how we ought to intentionally be given the gospel. These closest relationships are the people God's placed in our lives where we can purposely, intentionally share the gospel. Much more than a person we'll never meet. But we need to recognize that if we're looking at needs that way, well, these unsaved co-workers' needs are going to pop far quicker into our attention than those who are further out that might be believers. If we allow our natural rings of relationships to determine whose needs we concern ourselves with, we'll naturally see the physical needs of unbelievers before the needs of, say, a believer in another church. Remember, Paul is writing to a church in Rome that he has never visited. If we were to read on into chapter 15, we, we would learn that Paul is planning to visit them. He's planning to visit them on his way to Spain. In fact, we, we know from the book of Acts that, that Paul's plan doesn't unfold the way he expects, but in Romans here he tells them he's planning to come to visit them on his way to Spain because he anticipates that they will help him on his way to Spain. He's never met any of these people. But he assumes that they will be willing to help him take the gospel message further. Paul also explains in, in chapter 15 that the reason he isn't coming immediately to see them in Rome is he has one more thing to do first. He has been taking a collection from the churches of Achaia and Macedonia, what we would think of as Greece. He's collected this, this financial contribution from these churches and he's got to deliver that to Jerusalem. The, the Jewish church in Jerusalem is having great financial challenges because Jews are persecuting Christians. These churches in Greece have never met the, the Christians in, in Jerusalem, but Paul is seeing to it that they understand this principle in application. Take from their resources and meet the needs of Christians, saints, for the cause of Christ. This is putting this principle into action. The assumption that's common in both the idea that he will come to Rome and they will help him get to Spain and that the churches in Greece will help the church in Jerusalem was common to all of them is that they see other believers with a need and that is all that's required to help them to, to begin then to meet the need. 
They've seen the need, so they work to meet the need because they partner together in the need. So thinking about it, the, the implication is that we need to work to spot the needs of other believers as part of showing genuine Christian love. We, we cannot simply allow our natural relationships to be the, the sole means of awareness of needs. Instead, we need to have a mindset that, that, that because of Christ, we are already in partnership with other believers in other places. They are partners with us for the gospel, and, and we need to figure out how we can help others become better partners and look for ways to help those who are in need. A great example of this occurred a few months ago when a member of our church recognized that the war in Ukraine means that, that believers in Ukraine are going to suffer financially. They're going to have great physical needs. So stimulated by that observation, our missions committee decided to take some of the coin money that we've been collecting here in, in our church and send that through our missionary, whose wife is from the Ukraine, who had a, a conduit to get it to a pastor, her former pastor in Ukraine, to help the people, the believers of Ukraine, with physical needs. Now, none of us will probably ever meet any of those saints this side of eternity that had the physical, have, probably should use present tense, have the physical needs in Ukraine. We don't know any of their names, but their needs are our needs. They are believers for Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, taking the name of Christ to that region. They carry the name of Christ. They've been bought by the same precious blood of Christ that we've been bought. And through faith, they're declared holy for all eternity. They are saints. So one last time, let's go back to our mental examples of, of those we've shown love to over the past month. Let me ask you again, in your exercise of love, have the needs of saints risen to the level of your attention? Is the needs of saints your concern? And if it has been saints that have risen to their need, is it because the particular saint or saints have been also part of your close circle of relationships? They just happen to fall into one of those close circles? Has any of your displays of love come solely because you have Christ in common with the person in need. It takes concerted effort on our part to spot the needs of other believers. We, we must learn to look past our, our closest circle of relationships. We must be sensitive to, to things we hear from some of the further circles in our lives and train ourselves to take heed of those needs that other Christians have. We, we need to do that because genuine love requires it. Genuine love spots the needs of other believers. And that's our third observation this morning. When my friend called about his car breaking down, certainly I was willing to help. My, my time, my sleep, my energy, I was willing to, to sacrifice those and pick up his family. It, it wasn't even hard to decide to do that. He was my friend. I, I loved him as a friend, and I was willing to help in his time of need. We understand this idea. But I hope we also understand that we need to go further than this if we are to joyfully magnify Christ. If we're to lift up the name of Christ, we need to go beyond that which comes natural to us. We are all naturally self-centered people. God in Christ 
calls us to strive to be others-centered. But that's not easy. It's not natural. It requires the transforming work of the Spirit of God combined with our earnest spiritual efforts to change to be other-centered. The, the simple principle, if we want to boil everything down today to one principle to take home, from the phrase, contributing to the needs of the saints, if we want to boil this down, the, the one principle is that genuine love requires us to sacrifice for other believers. Real simple. Genuine love requires us to sacrifice for other believers. Sacrifice. Sacrifice for other believers. Contributing to the needs of the saints. That means, observation one, that genuine love motivates practical action. Observation two, genuine love partners with others in need. Observation three, genuine love spots the needs of other believers. Consider your life. Think about your resources. How are you using what God has given you to joyfully magnify Christ? How are you using what what God has, has given you to meet the needs of others? Collectively, how are we using what God has given our church to joyfully magnify Jesus Christ? Are we sacrificing for others so that our Savior is magnified? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would indeed help us to have genuine love that that sacrifices for other believers. We see the calling of that in your word today. So Father, my prayer is simply that you would send your spirit into each of our hearts right now and cause us to examine our lives, to do an assessment Are we allowing genuine love to have the practical effect that it should have? The love that displays Christ to the world around us. Father, certainly we will all fall short of the ideal, but I pray that you would show us ways that we can take tangible steps to magnify Christ more effectively. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.